0: Welcome back to that So Second Millennium, episode 50. This is the conclusion of my interview with Craig Lent. So we're going to discuss more physics, and we're also going to discuss more about his journey through faith. I hope you enjoy it. I've sort of bookmarked so far in my mind three things that um, hopefully we could talk at least a few minutes apiece on. Um, they, they vary somewhat widely in terms of the uh, probably intellectual content, but uh, one of them was you know, you, you started to answer that issue about entropy a little bit. And if we you know, had two or three minutes to talk about that, that would be great. Um, another one, I think we had marched up to the edge or at least within spitting distance of the issue of decoherence. And, well, I mean, I, I think we've all actually been kind of come back around to it again. So the whole idea of, well, and, and the, the, the whole the measurement issue. So, you know, what happens? You know, no one has looked at this rock you know, of course I think of it in geological terms, um, other people, especially people at the conference there, the question was raised about, uh, um, you know, astronomical events. I haven't seen this, you know, happen, you know, what happened, you know, so I look at a meteorite, you know, did every, all of the, you know, it's it's a 4.5 billion year old meteorite condensed out of a solar nebula. And I look at it and, you know, so I look at all of the events and there are, you know, again, olivine grains in it, let's say, and they have dislocations exactly here. Were these atoms all in some sort of, you know, superposed state until I looked at them? <laughs> so that's another issue. And then one last, probably much less uh, intellectually interesting issue. Um, I remember back in the day when I took undergraduate quantum physics and uh, physical chemistry, there was this thing. And so everyone talks about the Schrodinger equation because, of course, that's, you know, that's that's what you're taught. Um but i was told that the schrodinger equation is not relativistic and indeed i don't know where there would be any relativistic terms you know any you know accommodation for it in the schrodinger equation um, and that there is something called the dirac equation that actually takes relativistic effects into account but i have never to this very day either looked looked it up and actually hammered out exactly what the dirac equation even looks like or how it makes that accommodation and of course there is the 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 statement that Relativity and quantum physics haven't been completely unified because, of course, gravity, the, especially general relativity and the uh, issues of how it treats gravity, and have not, you know, haven't been, that hasn't been hammered out. And that would be a great advance in physics if when that day finally comes. Um, but we could just dial it back to what does the Dirac equation even look like, and when does it actually get used, especially in a sort of engineering sense.
1: Okay, let's see if I can touch on those, walk through those briefly. So the Schrödinger equation in, uh, in the form of the, the time derivative of the state function is mm-hmm. an operator, the Hamiltonian times the yeah. state function. That's solid. The yeah. question, what, what we usually use in the first few courses in quantum mechanics, we use a non-relativistic form of the Hamiltonian mm-hmm. where you just have, you might, might remember, the p squared over 2m for the kinetic energy. Mm -hmm. So it's true. That's a non-relativistic form when you, when you, uh, but quantum mechanics has early on by Dirac and others, uh, absorbed special relativity. So, um, so special relativity, which gets you the Dirac equation, forces you to extend the, the nature of psi so that it's not just a scalar field, but it's a spinner field. It's got more than one component. Okay. So uh, that's the way, so you can certainly describe relativistic, several particles, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: with that kind of framework. And you get, you can, so spin comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Insisting that it be relativistically correct. Mm-hmm. The, um, now the, the, the way in which that's used most fundamentally these days is quantum field theory, which is yet another step up, but mm-hmm. it doesn't change. It sort of the Schrodinger equation is unfazed by all this, but <laughs> it, it becomes more yeah. convenient for the, for, uh, when you're dealing with uh, quantum field theory, where you're dealing with situations where the particle number isn't conserved. We have uh, mm-hmm. photons uh, coming into existence, you know, mm-hmm. when a particular event. particles occurs, and antiparticles, other particles and, coming about. Yeah. So then, it's more convenient to talk about one field for all the electrons and excitations of that
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, sort of kind of harmonic beings of that become the particles. Mm-hmm. And then they can, they can couple to other particles and mm-hmm. quarks and gluons and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have all the, the fields. You, you end up with a description that's still con- equivalent to a, a Schrodinger equation, but it's mm-hmm. written in a different form. This so-called field Lagrangian, uh, that has all the particles in the standard model in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and you can do that and include so it's 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 not uh, something different. And it, you know, you could do that with with the Schrodinger equation. It's not a new mm-hmm. fundamental step, but you've got many more particles and interactions between the particles. Mm-hmm. Um, so quantum electrodynamics, quantum chromodynamics—that lets uh, quarks interact through gluons—and mm-hmm. uh, you you can include gravity um at the in the the way we experience it here like if you're on the
2: mm-hmm.
1: around earth so um the the part where gravity and quantum mechanics don't meet is kind of an intense uh, mm-hmm. situations near the surface of a black hole right where the space is curving so much that it it, it, ma- it matters to the description at the individual particle levels
2: yeah um or the the you
1: know the very early universe right after yeah. the big bang where again, there's so much density, space is strongly curved and so yeah. forth. So it, uh, so that's the part that hasn't been brought together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, worth doing. It's a laudable, yeah. a, a laudable goal. Um, but the, the kind of, um, the kind of gravitational fields we experience. Like around here, or even around the sun,
2: yeah.
1: um, don't require. Don't, they don't. They don't start separating out uh, the vacuum. You
2: know,
1: mm. <laughs> right? Uh, so you you can you can do most of the calculations in general relativity and you know, photons being mm. bent around the sun and so forth. That yeah. all kind of works. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's true. Well, it's true. There's this fundamental unification that ha- hasn't happened. Yeah. It's also true. Um, it, the, the kind of, um, uh, what, what, uh, I, I think it's Wilsack calls it the core theory, mm-hmm. which includes these effects up to very great densities, very strong bending. That, that works pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it's not, the character of it isn't different than the Schrödinger mm-hmm. equation. It's just yeah. writing the wave function out, uh, the way you do for a few particles isn't so convenient when you've got, you're trying to explain the interaction of many different kinds of particles like that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was one question yeah. relative relativity.
0: Uh, the coherence is a huge issue that we couldn't. Do much justice to in this context, but perhaps a little bit.
1: Well, I, so I think decoherence. I, I think there's a technical meaning of decoherence, uh, and there's decoherence theory that's been worked out in the last few years,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I, I've done a little work on it. Um, but it means it, it's different than measurement. So mm-hmm. if you have a if you have a system um, that could be in more than one mm-hmm. quantum state, yeah. um. Uh, but then it's in an environment, which, which is a whole bunch of little systems, you know, molecules and mm-hmm. whatnot what that can also be in different quantum states.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you could, you can start off, you can set it up so that at the beginning, the main system, the sort of thing in the center
2: mm-hmm.
1: is in a pure quantum state mm-hmm. that has coherence. And if it were left alone, you would see like coherent Rabi oscillations; that would be be behaving just the way a wave function should, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when you allow it <clears throat> to see the environment and interact yeah. with it, then because of the nature of quantum mechanics, you have to include the wave function that actually couples this to that system and to this other environmental system and all these other environments. <clears throat> so when you do that, if you do that for the system plus a representative chunk of the environment, you can't hold everything, but um, what you see is that the if you just look at the system in the center and you say, how can I describe that, it doesn't look very quantum mechanical anymore, Mm -hmm. just by itself, if you ask for a local representation, then the coherence effects seem to go away. Mm -hmm. They cancel out. But that's there's sort of that it's not really the loss of something. It's just that this thing really can't be looked at in isolation because Mm -hmm. it's entangled with all these other systems. So the thing, the object that you use to look at it in isolation is called the reduced density matrix. And when you let it interact, the reduced density matrix starts to look classical. And so you say this has Mm decohered because of the environment and that's that's why we don't see things typically kind of in in life you put a coin somewhere it doesn't slide around between two states and Mm -hmm. you know things take on at at a macro scale uh positions and the classical Mm -hmm. it's clear how classical mechanics emerges from mm-hmm. the from the quantum world in that sense, and mm-hmm. you know, there's also just getting bigger mass aggregating, it yeah. starts to take on classical quantities, and I think that's pretty well understood. This decoherence process wasn't very well understood, and the guy Zurich mm-hmm. is the name that's associated with the development of theory, which I think was a a great thing to actually notice how that worked out and why some states mm-hmm. were chosen to To survive interaction with the environment, mm-hmm. but th- none of that solves the measurement problem. The right. idea of, well, of even the system and the environment, there were more possibilities for how it could end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look, and it's in one, it's in a particular state. You make wow. a measurement, yeah. so it, it's uh, sometimes he sounds Zurich and uh, some of his. Travelers sound like they think they've solved the measurement problem by doing this
0: decoherence point. So you've made it clear that you regard those as very separate issues.
1: I think they're, se- I think they're clearly separate issues. Yeah. There's one thing, why, why do things lose their quantum effects when they start interacting with a complicated environment? Yeah. There's another thing, which is why is the outcome this way, when it could have been that way
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's that's a measurement problem yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: which is you know just the starting point for more reading <laughs> more than we can <laughs> again do justice to the problem right here right now um what was the other thing what was entropy, entropy? yeah
1: well yeah entropy is a that's a concept with a long history, so uh, it was oh, yeah. defined by Clausius. Mm-hmm. in therm- with thermodynamic quantities yeah integrals of heat transfer and the like and then um and then boltzmann, boltzmann makes it a statistical mechanical yeah uh and that that was certainly in advance um then uh d- the um von neumann defined the quantum version
2: mm-hmm.
1: of entropy um and then shannon claude shannon it was a double e um,
2: Shannon,
0: who's
1: an electrical engineer.
0: Yes. Okay. So yeah. he was
1: working on telephone and telegraph signals and was looking okay. at information. Yeah. So he had famously this quantity that he, uh, brilliantly figured out that captured something about the, um, information content or its lack. Mm-hmm. And it looked like a quantity from thermodynamics, mm-hmm. Uh, statistical mechanics and the, uh, I, it's an often repeated story. And nobody, I think it's probably true that he, he asked von Neumann, mm-hmm. um, you know, should I call this entropy? Mm-hmm. And von Neumann said, um, yeah, you probably <laughs> call that entropy because it looks, you know, the form, formula looks just like a physical mm-hmm. thing called it, uh, entropy. And he said, and, and also if you call it entropy, you'll, you always have the advantage because no one really knows what entropy is. <laughs> and no one will be able to prove you wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So he did that. Yeah. Um, so my contention is uh, that the, the historical order there was just the opposite of what would be most clarifying
2: mm-hmm. The
1: fundamental concept was actually Shannon's.
0: His information, it's, so to speak.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's an, a measure of the amount of information that's missing. If what you have is a, a set of probabilities, mm-hmm. um, you can ask, well, these are probabilities. Uh, how, how many bits of information am I missing? So mm-hmm. I, uh, if, I, if the probabilities were one and zero, then yeah. the answer would be none. I know yeah. exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. If they were 50-50, then the answer is one bit. I don't know which it's going to be, so I'm missing one bit of information the whole bit. So the Shannon formula tells you how to take a probability distribution and assign it a number, which is the amount of information that's missing Mm -hmm. that you would have to know um, to to get a result when all you know is the probability distribution. Mm -hmm. And if you work that back, you can see how a specialization of that to the quantum mechanical case that von neumann was looking at gives you the von neumann equation you can then generalize it to other quantum questions mm-hmm. if you apply it to statistical mechanics in mm-hmm. uh, equilibrium you get the boltzmann equation yeah. and if you then said okay let's let's
2: and then blur this you, out and then and you
1: condense talk about it, heat, it
2: to yeah and
1: then you, you get uh, the original clausius version mm-hmm. so i think uh, Shannon's information theoretic version, uh, is, is the most fundamental and thermodynamic entropy is a special case yeah. of that uh, yeah. applied to a particular kind of system. Yeah. So now. This is contested, right? I have mm-hmm. colleagues who who think I'm exactly wrong on this that there <laughs> that it's a confusion introduced by Shannon that mm-hmm. confusion confuses an information theoretic concept
2: mm-hmm.
1: with a physical thermodynamic concept, mm-hmm. and they're completely mm-hmm. independent of each other. Just mm-hmm. happen to unfortunately share the same name. So
2: yeah,
1: but I, I think uh, you can show that if you try to express the statistical mechanical problem in the language of information theory, Mm -hmm. you can derive the entropy Mm -hmm. uh, that's the thermodynamic result. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. it's, there's one idea there and it's missing information. Mm -hmm. So where do they,
0: um, you know, your, uh, people, people disputing this with you, where do they think the break is? Do they think it's between, Shannon and von Neumann or von Neumann and Boltzmann or Boltzmann and Clausius
1: Um, between Shannon and von Neumann. Okay. um, Yeah. That's how he expressed it was physical. Yeah. yeah, Physical systems are one thing and they have physical Mm -hmm. laws and the abstraction of bits and information is, Mm -hmm. is sort of a a mathematical property Mm -hmm. um, that's, that, that just captures something entirely different. I th- I think mm-hmm. it captures something uh different but larger that includes yeah. the physical yeah. thing as a special. Your I mean, Venn diagram includes that. Yeah. I think so, yeah. 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 And that
0: and that subset of it is a very large subset. It's phys- there's a lot of physical entities that of course, again, you know, looking at it from a mineralogical point of view, I have an olivine crystal and okay, I know that ten percent of the atoms are iron and ninety percent are magnesium, and so where are they located? I have, you know, and and then a a forced right 90 crystal, you know, with only that many, you know, that's going to be different than one that's 50-50. You're mentioning there's going to be a different amount of information missing, you know. Right. I I, I have a fewer, I have a smaller number of things I need additionally to specify to know exactly the makeup of the crystal.
1: Yes. And it's, it's helpful. So I I learned this from a guy named Ben Naim of Jerusalem. It's Mm -hmm. really helpful to force. Uh, force yourself in dealing with entropy to constantly come back to, so it's, uh, it's a measure of in, information that's missing and mm-hmm. the, what kind of information and, and from whom is it missing, you know? Yeah. So in the case you were just talking about, it's information about what kind of atoms are there, you know? Mm-hmm. Is it information about position? So information is always information about something right so uh if it's position or quantum state and so forth so it it, i think it helps you sort through uh what can otherwise be a tangle Uh of different meanings of entropy Mm -hmm. and i don't so the harsh the hard edge of that is i don't think entropy is a measure of disorder Mm -hmm. um i think that's a uh, almost everybody says that. Yeah, that's uh, the
2: standard uh, textbook. I,
1: I, th- I think it's confusing, and I, use, I I give I have an example where I have a, a set of grid points that are a little off from a rectangular grid, so they've just randomly been chosen to be yeah. displaced. And I say, okay, that's a set of points, and mm-hmm. then I show another set of points that look like they're just seriously messed up. Right? Yeah. And so, which which one of these has less order? And you'd say, well, this one that's, you know, got no rhyme or reason to it. And then uh, the background turns on for that one. And it turns out all those points are the locations of state capitals in the United States. So, actually, (laughs) this is an extremely ordered. This isn't disordered at all. This other one
2: has has, has has some order.
1: So, I don't think order disorder is a scientific concept. That's a question about, yeah, that that it really is in the mind of the beholder. Mm -hmm. Uh, Entropy as as a measure of probability, Mm -hmm. a measure on a probability distribution, I think has a rigorous meaning. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's, and it's about that lack of information about that missing information. You would need to specify the entire state of the system. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, that's, and of course you've, you've mentioned Shannon. So clearly you're not the only electrical engineer who has ever uh, been, uh, thought about uh, <laughs> these, these sort of fundamental issues. And of course right. that's, uh, that's engineers are I, a long time ago. I sort of scratched my, you know, as a scientist, I'm like, you know, I'm, i think of myself as being divided up and, you know, like what subject matter of questions am I answering? And of course, I, you know, if I'm, Answering questions about the earth, I'm a geologist. But if I'm specifically answering chemical questions about the earth, I'm a geochemist. And if I am uh, specifically answering geophysical, you know, physical questions, I'm a geophysicist and so on down the line. At some point, I came to the conclusion that engineers are divided up by what bureaucrats or possibly, uh, you know, business people they answer to. So civil engineers are answering to, you know, particular uh, government officials and, and, you know, electrical engineers are answering to, you know, people trying to manufacture semiconductors or what have you but uh
1: well electrical engineering so i what i do is applied physics i'd say the the electrical engineering is kind of divided into applied physics and applied math Mm -hmm. i have a i have a, a physics degree and several of my collaborators do and we work on applied physics and it is in the uh certainly in the area of electronic devices mm-hmm. doing them in molecules, not semiconductors right now. Mm-hmm. But the, the Shannon side is, uh, uses some more the abstraction of bits and information yeah. and system level descriptions that are very mathematical. They publish proofs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and it's the, the flavor of that is a, applied math, but they're mm-hmm. both, they're both applied. They're both trying to ultimately solve some problems. Yeah. Um, but you know, you you have to know quite a bit about the nature of the physical world in order to solve those, or yeah. the nature of mathematics in order to solve those.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have to get very deep into it. Which you know, of course, engineers of different stripes have to get very deep into whatever the appropriate scientific subject matter is to get that to, to get that point across. So. And it sounds like you've been a variety of places—Berkeley, Jerusalem, sort of all over the place. I wasn't in Jerusalem. He—he's
1: he oh, okay. from Jerusalem. He's from Jerusalem. I—I okay. I, I read Ben Naim. I read his books, and I invited okay. him to come by. He's, okay. He's a—he's a great guy, mm-hmm. and he had thought very deeply about entropy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Nice. He's got, he's got books. I have a bookshelf there. He's got books like entropy, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. (laughs) That's a title.
0: (laughs) If you stare long up into entropy, entropy stares back into you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are there any sort of closing uh, thoughts here? We're right about the hour mark. So this is, uh, this has been great. I really appreciate the, uh, the time that you've made for us.
1: Sure. Um, did you want me to say something about my,
0: yeah, yeah, a little bit about your your career, how you how you wound up here in uh at Notre Dame and what what stops have been along the way, and of course, you know, and also your journey of faith since that's that's also
2: important to...
1: yeah, so you can you can select out what you want here, yeah um yeah, for me, so I was raised as a Christian, mm-hmm. um, there's always a moment when you go off to college and then you get to find out. Whether you're a christian on your own
2: yeah
1: and i discovered i was um and i prayed i uh, went to the bible study and the christian group mm-hmm. and had a and i had an intuition about christians being together that there was a that was a good thing
2: yeah
1: i uh so I formed a little group with one other guy. I was at Caltech. Mm-hmm. We were in the student house mm-hmm. together. He was the only other Christian in this group of seventy. Uh, so we would meet and yeah. you know, a uh, little accountability group, and we'd read some things together and so mm-hmm. forth. But after after my first year, I thought, "Wow, there's just something missing here. This mm-hmm. is this is like hard." So I went investigating the what was at the time a, a big deal going on, the charismatic renewal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I ended up uh getting prayed with for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and it just changed everything. It was just a remarkable thing mm-hmm. for me. And so God who had been there but was seen distance was suddenly yeah. very close. Yeah. And the Bible just came alive. Uh, yeah. Just everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, spiritual gifts, praying in tongues, yeah. hearing words. So I, I joined the prayer group that was near campus that, um and at the Newman Center. Mm-hmm. Um and there was it there
0: was a lot there,
1: this, this this is impulse, still at Caltech. This is a Caltech. Yeah. Yeah. This impulse was uh, for a lot of people having that experience, were drawn toward the concept of Christian community,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and there were some bigger communities around, and lots of groups were thinking about becoming Christian communities. The prayer group I was part of talked seriously about that, mm-hmm. but decided we just didn't have the resources. So um, I agonized quite a bit about it, but it, it seemed like I really wanted to make to. to to join Christian communities this, mm-hmm. this charismatic uh, experience was yeah. had really reoriented things <laughs> So, I did what I thought I would never do, which was leave Caltech. I had spent my life up to then trying to get into Caltech. Right. So, I transferred up to uh, Berkeley,
0: mm-hmm. still mm-hmm.
1: a good school. <laughs> still a uh,
0: good school, yes. But,
1: um, Possibly
0: because, the understatement of the day, yes.
1: Uh, because there was a Christian community up there, the yeah. John the Baptist community. Yeah. So, it was complicated. Shortly after I got there started going to meetings, they just they announced they were leaving. <laughs> they were moving en masse to South Bend, Indiana. To okay. To be part of this group called the People of Praise. Okay. So I considered whether I should move with them. I had just gotten there. Yeah. And I got some advice from one of the the leaders who was a physics professor. Oh. And um, said, finish up and then moved to a place where there's a big community. Mm-hmm. So I, I did that and I joined. So now 40 years ago, I moved to uh, Minnesota to go to grad school in physics.
0: Okay. And University um, of Minnesota, University of Minnesota, yeah.
1: where there was a, a big community called uh, at the time, it was called the servants of the Lord. Okay. And, um, so I, now it eventually, uh, became, it stopped being, uh, Uh, let's see you'd say it ceased to operate and uh, in in its place was a branch of the people praise Mm -hmm. so that it was possible for me to move to another branch uh, Mm -hmm. when I got out of grad school I had planned on well Mm -hmm. joining this community staying where they are
2: yeah
1: Uh, so I kind of readjusted my the kind of science I was doing in hopes of being able to get a job there Mm mm-hmm um, so I, uh, th- so I came to Notre Dame to do a postdoc in physics, because mm-hmm. uh, the, the people praise us here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I stayed in the, on the faculty in electrical engineering, there was an opening. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, so that's been, as I say, altogether that was 40 years ago and, yeah. Life connected to these people has just been fantastic and yeah. living, living a, a life together, prayer and worship and looking after each other and yeah. growing old and, I mean, having kids, raising yeah. kids, growing older, looking after uh, people at all different stages of life.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, just the commitment to each other and mm. this experience of uh, life in the in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's just been a fantastic thing for my life. So, yeah. it's the it's the context in which everything else has happened. Yeah. I'm just you know, I'm profoundly grateful that I got a job here. Yes, uh, so it <laughs> yeah, um, worked out very well. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah, yeah. that's kind of my story.
0: Yeah, it's darn hard to be a Christian and be on an island by yourself. It doesn't uh, doesn't work out very well.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's very true.
0: Well, that adds a completely different dimension to it, too.
2: So, yeah.
0: And I know there's a uh, a branch down in Indianapolis. I don't know how long it's yes. been there.
1: Yeah, it's been there for quite oh, a while. while. Yeah. yeah, and there's a new a new part of uh, on the south side of Indianapolis in a yeah. very poor area. There's a new start there. Yeah, uh, where people have deliberately moved to, you know, a yeah. rough area. And yeah. Building Christian community with the neighbors there. Yeah,
0: yeah. I own a house probably within a couple of miles of there. I still uh-huh. rented out to a former co-worker, but uh, uh-huh. I lived there for a couple of years. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's something fascinating. To so, certainly plan to go and talk to them sometime. So. Oh great. So, um, is there anything, any other uh, sort of final closing uh, things you'd like to leave the
1: listeners with? Um. I think the world is just a fascinating place. I think the physical world is fascinating. The world of, of course, the world of of culture and Mm -hmm. human creativity is fascinating. I've been fascinated from a very young age with the physical world and how it works. And I think it's just a source of all kinds of wonder. And it's amazing that we're able to get a handle on it using math and science and abstractions and, uh, it's the, the, just the, what, one thing I really appreciated at the inaugural meeting of the society of Catholic scientists, uh, was, it was not a dreary crowd. It was like, right. this was a, a crowd of people who were just really enjoying what they did. Yeah. And the sense of just wonder and interest yeah. and yeah. the wow was there. Yeah. That's a, Yeah. That's a great thing.
0: Yeah. And for there to be a motivation for it better than, you know, greater than, you know, trying to prove that, (laughs) improve your intellect or gain or get grant money or just be successful in the world's terms to have, you know, to have that greater sense of, you know, I just, I just can't escape the sense that when I learn something about the physical world, however, you know, however small a thing it is, I'm still learning something about the God who made it that way. Exactly. allowed it to become that way.
1: Yeah, and it's and it doesn't exhaust reality. The, yeah, uh, our reality is, is certainly is bigger than that. We encounter God. We encounter yeah. each other as persons. Yeah. Um, but the uh, but that part of the scientific part is still yeah terrific. You know, yeah. In that context, you know? yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: it makes it, yeah, it makes it all the richer when we can see you know, just, just how big and how fascinating the universe it is that we get to, <laughs> we get to co-inhabit.
1: So, exactly. So, well, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Happy to talk with you. Thank you, Paul.
0: This has been another episode of That's So Second Millennium with me, Paul Geesting, geologist and intellectual pilgrim, and my co-host, the journalist and consultant, Bill Schmidt. Be sure to check us out at tssm.podbean.com. We hope you subscribe and leave us a review via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. As always, thanks for listening.